It was a balmy Wisconsin night in 1993. Nancy and Leader had just returned home from another long day at the office. She put her bags down, slipped off her shoes, and sunk into her couch. She had a few minutes to herself before the rest of her family came home. She closed her eyes for a moment, trying to soak in the peace and quiet. But she began to hear soft, hushed voices, as if someone was speaking to her telepathically. The voices were telling her, Beware. We have chosen you. You must tell the others. Nancy didn't panic. In fact, she felt an incredible calm wash over her body. It was as if she had been subconsciously waiting for this moment her whole life. Nancy realized these voices in her head weren't hallucinations, but direct transmissions received via an implant in her brain. An implant she'd received as a child after being abducted by space aliens, the Zetas. And Nancy's direct line of communication with the Zetas was going to save her and the rest of the world from utter destruction. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a podcast original. Every Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Conspiracy Theories for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Conspiracy Theories in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. This is our second episode on the mysterious planet known as Nibiru. Last week, we broke down the official story that Nibiru and its inhabitants, known as the Anunnaki, are simply a part of ancient Sumerian religious beliefs and do not actually exist, despite the claims of researcher Zechariah Sitchin. This week, we'll explore three conspiracy theories surrounding the mystifying planet of Nibiru. Each is predicated on the concept that Sitchin's claims are correct and that scientists have failed to identify an extra planet within our solar system, one filled with alien life forms. To start, conspiracy theory number one. The aliens of Nibiru, known as the Anunnaki, came to Earth and helped progress Sumerian life back in 4000 BCE. In fact, they may have even predated the Sumerians and created all mankind. Conspiracy theory number two. The 2012 Mayan apocalypse prediction didn't predict the end of days. Instead, it was a prediction of the next Anunnaki visit, when Nibiru's orbit brings it closer to Earth. This idea became popularized after self-proclaimed Zeta contactee Nancy Leader claimed she received a vision of Nibiru and its predicted approach on the Mayan calendar. Conspiracy theory number three, 
The moon is not composed of rocky material originally from Earth, but made of an alien material and proof of Nibiru's existence. At a revolutionary archaeological dig in 1877, archaeologists discovered artifacts of the Sumerians dating back to the 3rd millennium BCE. Located in Tello, now in Iraq, the Sumerians were innovators, credited for establishing primitive forms of government, religion, and astronomy. But they also invented one of the first forms of calligraphy known as cuneiform. In cuneiform, they scripted over 25,000 texts on astrology and astronomy. When these records were uncovered in 1877, they revealed a world lost to time. All it took to uncover the secrets of the ancient past was a simple translation of Sumerian cuneiform. Or at least it seems simple. In the 1970s, 200 years after the texts were rediscovered, author Zechariah Sitchin believed he had uncovered the one true translation of Sumerian cuneiform, and everyone that came before him was wrong. Sitchin was convinced his translations hinted at an additional planet, unknown in our solar system, one known as Nibiru. He was certain that the Sumerians had proof of its existence in ancient times because it had been handed to them by the planet's residents. This leads us to our first conspiracy theory. Nibiru's inhabitants, the Anunnaki, visited Earth back in 4000 BCE and helped Sumerian culture evolve exponentially ahead of their time. But Sitchin didn't stop there. He also believed that the Anunnaki embedded their alien DNA into the Sumerian people to keep their extraterrestrial legacy going here on Earth. In Sitchin's book, The Twelfth Planet, he explains these theories. As we covered last week, Sitchin saw that texts unearthed at Tello contained a tale of creation, not unlike the one in the book of Genesis. But there were also tales that reflected arcs later found in Greek mythology. One tale told of the children of the first mother and father, who grew mutinous. The children's leader, a powerful god, challenged his parents for control of the universe. The parents of the gods agreed to let their young son rule if, and only if, he defeated a great monster. That monster was the mother god herself. After a challenging fight, the son was triumphant. To stop the monster from ever questioning him again, the son split her in two. One half of her became heaven and the other earth. The son was elevated to become the supreme god, who then became the leader of the Anunnaki. The god took the name of Marduk. Marduk and the gods who served him settled on Earth, and Marduk had all the other gods serve him. Sitchin hung his hat on the part where Marduk, now supreme leader, claimed the planet Nibiru as his home and referred to it as Station Nibiru. Going forward, Marduk's descendants, as well as those who still lived on Nibiru, would become known as the Anunnaki. 
In Sitchin's translation, the Anunnaki creation story stated Nibiru orbited around the solar system, passing by Earth every 3,600 years. Soon, the Anunnaki suffered through difficult times as resources on their planet ran thin. When they neared Earth, they would need to visit to replenish those resources, particularly gold, and bring it back to Nibiru. In order to gather enough gold, they needed help, so the Anunnaki created mankind. Most scholars take this tale as metaphorical, a simple creation myth, or they say it's propaganda, a way for a king to claim godly power and force his citizens to work in the gold mines. But Sitchin asked, why not take this epic at face value? as nothing more nor less than the statement of cosmologic facts as known to the Sumerians, as told to them by the Anunnaki. Some archaeologists who support the Anunnaki theory point to the mining tunnels in South Africa, as well as the gold relics in Sumerian culture, as proof that men were made to dig in Anunnaki mines. One such person is Michael Tellinger, an archaeologist and ancient astronaut researcher. Tellinger admits no one knows why they wanted gold, no one knows how much was taken. But Tellinger does believe that in return for mining, the Anunnaki introduced the concepts of financial exchange, government, and commerce to the Sumerians they created. He says they also gave humanity some specialty infrastructure. While on Earth, the Anunnaki created bases around Sumer, where they were said to store their spacecraft. Sitchin argues that the twin mountaintops in Sumer, called Arata, weren't natural geological structures, but created as landing guide points for the Anunnaki and their rocket ships. Sitchin also suggests that the Anunnaki built a stone platform known as Baalbek as a landing port. The monument in modern-day Lebanon is actually a 2,000-year-old temple dedicated to Jupiter that's constructed of 3,001-ton blocks. It's an incredible feat for humans, even today. But Sitchin and his supporters argue that this is one of the only remaining Anunnaki structures that stands today, because most of the Anunnaki's bases and cities were washed away in a great flood that happened 30,000 years ago. Again, a narrative that fits nicely with the book of Genesis and the story of Noah, when God returns the earth to its natural state by flooding the lands with water. Sitchin and his followers also went on to claim that the Anunnaki didn't just enslave the humans, but they also fraternized with them. According to Chris Hardy's book, DNA of the gods, the Anunnaki were believed to have extracted their DNA from the marrow of their own ribs and injected it into humans. Once again, Sitchin's theory that the Bible proves the existence of the Anunnaki finds a parallel. In Genesis, God uses Adam's rib to make Eve, who then tempts Adam into finding godlike knowledge. Here, the Anunnaki used their ribs to make humans wiser. But later, the Anunnaki resorted to the easier solution. They naturally inseminated human women to create more intelligent hybrid beings. Either way, the theory goes that the Sumerian kings were descended from the Anunnaki, the gods, or 
aliens. Astrophysicist Vladimir Schierbach believes it's absolutely possible that humans may have been genetically engineered from beings of another planet. He argues that our DNA actually looks like it has been created with absolute mathematical precision. So is it possible that the Anunnaki scientifically perfected their own DNA and then shared it with mankind? If they had the technology to travel between planets, we can't rule it out. And astronautical engineer Robert Zubrin agrees. In fact, he believes there may be an alien code of amino acids, the material that makes up our DNA. He thinks our genetics are waiting to be decoded, and once we learn more about ourselves, we'll finally have our answers about our alien ancestors. With other scholars backing his claims, we do have to consider the possibility that Sitchin was onto something, that the Anunnaki were more than folklore. Perhaps they actually did come to Earth during the existence of these ancient civilizations and make their mark on humanity. But the Sumerians could have simply meant that the gods impacted life on Earth in the same way that all religions impact us, through faith and story. Realistically, it's more likely that the tale of the Anunnaki is a myth taken too literally, a creation story to match every other human religion, not evidence of an alien encounter. As for his theories on the Anunnaki mining for ancient gold, Sitchin was never able to point to a textual reference that plainly stated this. In fact, it doesn't state anywhere in Sumerian text that humanity would serve as slaves to the Anunnaki to mine gold, or that Anunnaki scientists crossed alien and human DNA. Instead, it appears as if Sitchin may have applied his own narrative to Sumerian text after he started gaining an audience. Most likely, even though Sitchin had a far-reaching and avid fan base, we don't believe that the Anunnaki came to Earth to implant alien DNA in humans. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being unlikely and 10 being likely, I'd give this theory a 1. Yeah, I'd also give it a 1, but just because they didn't create or enhance humanity doesn't mean that the Anunnaki didn't exist at all. Nibiru may be up there, somewhere within proximity to our solar system, and it's possible that this rogue planet could be on a path of destruction, headed right towards Earth. Up next, we'll dive into the theory that Nibiru's return is imminent and could mean the destruction of our own planet. Author Zechariah Sitchin was the first to spark the theory that the Anunnaki, alien inhabitants of the planet Nibiru, may have visited Earth around 4000 BCE and implanted alien DNA into the Sumerians, or even created them from scratch, meaning that all humans now are part Anunnaki. And while we couldn't find any firm evidence for that theory, Sitchin wasn't the only one to develop theories about the existence of Nibiru, or that its orbit brought it close to the Earth every 3,600 years. Which leads us to our second conspiracy theory, that the 2012 Mayan calendar was meant to predict the next time Nibiru would come into close contact with Earth's orbit. 
The Mayans have been around since at least 7,000 BCE, even earlier than the Sumerians. And their culture still lives, with many people practicing their long-held traditions today. What we know of Mayan culture is often associated with their remarkable 3,000-year-old pyramid structures that still stand in Mexico and Central America. Like the Sumerians, they made remarkable achievements in astronomy and mathematics, which led to the invention of the Mayan calendar around 500 BCE. No one in proximity to the Mayans had any calendar at this time. The fact that the Mayans was incredibly accurate, even helping them plan their annual crop cycles, was a marvel. But famously, that calendar only ran until December 21st, 2012. And many thought that since this calendar, created with astronomical precision, ended on December 21st, 2012, that this would be the end of our planet. Doomsayers pointed to the fact that this was the same day the Milky Way and the Earth's equator would align, convinced that this was a recipe for disaster and the physics of our planet could change drastically. Some believed that the end would come in the form of tidal waves, volcanic eruption, even global earthquakes. But Nancy Leader had another idea. She believed the end of the world was tied to the planet Nibiru. Nancy claimed she got her information from a credible and reliable source, the same source who hadn't steered her wrong yet. Aliens, who she referred to as Zetas. The Zetas were tall, gray beings, sometimes depicted with reptilian features. According to Nancy, she first communicated with the Zetas when she was eight years old. In fact, Nancy claimed the Zetas abducted her from her Wisconsin home and implanted a chip in her brain, which they used for direct communication. But it wasn't until 1993, what appears to be about 20 years later, that she was able to recall this event. One evening, she was revisited by a series of familiar voices. But when she heard them, memories of the aliens flooded back to her. She was their chosen one. She didn't know why she was the chosen one, but she knew she had a responsibility now. Nancy was an early internet user and launched her website, Zeta Talk, in 1995. On her forum, she shared everything the Zetas had told her. According to Nancy, they had relayed everything that was supposed to happen after the apocalypse. The Zetas called this period after time. They spoke of how the government would collapse and how a new world order would be instituted. Nancy would need to prepare to live off the land and the Zetas would help her learn how. She even claimed the Zetas were responsible for the TV game show, Survivor. Yep, that's right. Aliens created Survivor to mentally prepare humanity to live off the land. Though Nancy never explained how the Zetas communicated with reality TV producers. In addition to creating the game Survivor, the Zetas had the key to the afterlife. They told Nancy every living thing was reincarnated. They believed that we all had indestructible souls and the power to do good. The Zetas also told Nancy how the human population was gradually accepting the idea that alien life forms were living among us. 
This was an understanding they referred to as the awakening, the acceptance of an alien presence. But Nancy was about to get a much ruder awakening. In 1995, Nancy received a new and urgent message from the Zetas. The Zetas told Nancy that the next time Nibiru orbited close to Earth, it would either, one, come very close to our home planet, altering life as we know it, or two, crash into Earth entirely. If Nibiru passed Earth closely without making contact, then Earth would stop spinning for, quote, 5.9 terrestrial days. Afterward, the North and South Poles would switch places. According to Nancy, the increased wobble along with the magnetic push of Nibiru would cause the poles to revert. This would change the magnetic balance of Earth, altering plant, water, and human life irreversibly. The temperature would change too and cause the magnetic core of the Earth to be disrupted. The interior crust of the Earth would split open all around the world, triggering earthquakes, volcanic eruptions, even another ice age, or something equally devastating. Nancy was concerned. These visions were graphic, detailed, and urgent. She had to do everything in her power to spread the Zeta's warning message. In 1999, she quit her full-time job and spent all her time and money on her website. She detailed safety plans, the best places to wait out the apocalypse, and things to do in preparation for December 21st, 2012. She began educating others on how to grow their own food in this crisis. She moved her family out of a city and back to her native Wisconsin so she could learn to farm. Nancy insisted on being prepared when the day came. However, Nancy's theories weren't all about preserving life and grew more controversial over the years. She encouraged people to put their pets to sleep and only worry about themselves. Human survival had to be the main focus. And Nancy's new ideas didn't stop after she told people to euthanize their pets. Two years later, in 1997, the Zetas gave Nancy the exact coordinates of Nibiru. Nancy, always an eager contactee, dutifully noted the coordinates on her website. She called upon her readers for help, because if Nibiru was as close as the Zetas had said, it would be visible to the naked eye and the ambiguous visit could be happening earlier than Nancy would have expected. Soon enough, Nancy's website contained numerous photos of Nibiru in the exact location the Zetas had predicted. Most were taken by amateur astronomers who were also devout Zeta Talk followers. But these images did depict something in our skies. In 2003, they captured something that appeared to be shaped like a double helix with a fiery red coloring. The figure in these photos could have been Nibiru. Or it could have been a star, or more likely Mars, which is what astronomers suggested. But these astronomers weren't 100% certain the photos were of Mars. There was a slim chance it was Nibiru after all. In the meantime, here on Earth, 
popular culture fixated on the fact that the Mayan calendar ended on December 21st, 2012. That's when the Zetas conveniently sent Nancy another crystal clear message. The Mayan calendar predicted the next Nibiru visit, which would cause the end of the world. By this point, Nancy claimed she was receiving regular prophecies from the Zetas. And Nancy wasn't the only one. Theorists the world over joined her in the speculation and fear of the end of the world that Nibiru was headed straight towards Earth. Before long, Nancy's end times prophecies had hundreds of believers. In fact, the speculation Nancy created forced NASA to put out a statement to debunk public fears. They claimed the existence of Nibiru and the 2012 Mayan calendar were recycled theories that came into vogue on a rotating basis. Nevertheless, on December 20th, 2012, after nearly a decade of preparation, Nancy and millions of others questioned whether we were ready for the end. They said their goodbyes, triple-checked their survival plans, and held their breath as the clock neared midnight. But by December 22nd, nothing had happened. The predicted day had come and gone, and the world did not end. Nibiru did not collide with Earth. Nancy reasoned she must have misunderstood what the Zetas told her, pointing to the dozens of photographs of Nibiru. She claimed Nibiru was spotted in the exact coordinates the Zetas told her it would be. However, it seemed to be in the exact same position as before, unmoved since the 1990s, giving credence to the idea that it might be Mars. But for Nancy, it just gave credence to the idea she had misunderstood the Zeta's message. She was also convinced that several world leaders would now come forward to finally admit to the presence of Nibiru in our skies, but this, of course, did not happen. After 2012, Nancy modified her prophecies to no longer include exact dates. She and her followers are still certain the end is nigh. But if the Zetas were wrong, that still leaves us with the Mayans. Many people suggested that they too believed the world was coming to an end in 2012. The truth is, there's zero evidence in any Mayan artifacts or writings to suggest the end of the calendar would mean the end of humanity. It's more likely that the Mayans ran out of room or would have started a new calendar after reaching this point. It's like how on December 31st, we throw away our old wall calendars and buy new ones for the next year. Doesn't mean the world will end just because a calendar does, which is why I'm giving this theory a one out of 10. It appears that the Mayan calendar didn't allude to a Nibiru visit after all. It's even possible Nancy was conjuring up false claims about the Zetas and jumped on the popularity of the Mayan calendar theories, especially when she saw how much attention it got her. Zeta Talk's website regularly posts survival tips and plans of action for the apocalypse. Their official Facebook group has almost 2,000 members posting daily. Even if Nancy's 2012 prediction didn't come to fruition, Nibiru continues to excite the hearts and minds of conspiracy theorists all over the world. They leap at the prospect of a new frontier and a planet just like ours somewhere near our solar system. 
something undiscovered, or perhaps something hidden in plain sight. Perhaps the giant celestial body we stare at every evening is evidence that Nibiru is closer than it seems. Next, we'll look into our third conspiracy theory, that the Earth's moon was actually Nibiru's. Now, back to the story. Over the years, evidence has mounted to suggest that we may have an additional planet somewhere in our solar system, one scientists have dubbed Planet X. In January of 2016, two Caltech astronomers named Constantine Patigan and Mike Brown spoke of their research. They believed they had found trace evidence of a large celestial body making an unusual orbit in the outer parts of our solar system. This large object located in the Kuiper Belt was causing a shift in the orbits of surrounding planets and moons. NASA believed it was large enough to be an undiscovered planet. While it hasn't been concretely proven, the Caltech scientists say that this mysterious object, which they call Planet X, may have a mass 10 times the size of Earth, making it closer in size to Neptune or Uranus. Its distance from the sun is actually so great that it would take 10 to 20,000 years to make one full rotation around the sun. So its last trip near Earth would have been before the dawn of humanity. Which brings us to our third and final conspiracy theory. The moon originally belonged to the planet Nibiru and may be concrete evidence that Nibiru existed at one time or still does. NASA defines a satellite as a moon, planet, or machine that orbits a planet or star. Man-made satellites can transmit messages or pinpoint you on a GPS, but for the purposes of today's conversation, we're talking exclusively about natural satellites, meaning moons and planets. Earth is a satellite of the sun, the moon is a satellite of Earth. During NASA's exploration of the moon, they found that the craters on the moon's surface were actually created by collisions with space debris or other planets. And some researchers continue to extrapolate on these theories. Like Italian professor Emilio Spedicato, in 2013, the professor of operations research became a huge proponent of the Nibiru satellite theory. He wrote dozens of papers, gave numerous talks, and was frequently referenced on the topic of the rogue planet. But Spedicato differed from Sitchin in some of his opinions. For one, he believed that Nibiru came close to Earth not every 3,600 years, but every 20 years. In his 2013 paper, From Nibiru to Tiamat, an astronomic scenario for earliest Sumerian cosmology, Spedicato detailed his own interpretation of the theory of Nibiru and how our moon was actually the former moon of Nibiru. Like Sitchin, Spedicato believed that the Anunnaki of Nibiru may have had a hand in the creation of mankind years before the Sumerian civilization existed. He even agreed with Sitchin's analysis of those Sumerian texts. He too understood the translation as Human life was conceived by the Anunnaki during a great battle. 
But Spedicato also believed that before this battle, Mars may have rotated around the Earth. Why? Because ancient Sumerian drawings depicted the moon as larger than the moon we see today. Spedicato argued what they were actually trying to portray was the planet of Mars. Spedicato believed that Mars used to be a satellite of Earth. Spedicato hypothesized that during the time of creation and the epic battle between Marduk and his mother, long before the Sumerians, planets went spinning, breaking off into different pieces, alternating orbits, and colliding with one another. And during this epic disruption, Nibiru happened to be closest to Earth. But when the dust settled, things had shifted. Nibiru had been shot into its own singular orbit around the sun, moving separately from the rest of our solar system. The moon, which had previously been a satellite of Nibiru, was thrust into Earth's gravitational pole, and now Earth had two satellites, the moon and Mars. The next time Nibiru was close to Earth, the magnetic pole of Nibiru was altered. Since everything in our solar system had shifted, there was, of course, an effect on Nibiru. But then, in 6,900 BCE, a few thousand years before the Sumerians' ascendance, Nibiru collided with Jupiter. This caused another major disturbance in our solar system. When the much larger Jupiter made an impact with Nibiru, it exploded. Mars was shot back by the event and released from the Earth's gravitational pull. Jupiter's size decreased slightly, and the remaining debris formed what we now know as the asteroid belt. And the moon stayed with Earth, where it remains today. This is why Spedicato dismissed theories of Nibiru still being out there, or being the so-called Planet X. He believed Nibiru was a planet of the past. In modern times, astronomers do believe that the moon was likely formed from a collision of some kind. This is referred to by the scientific community today as Orpheus theory, or the giant impact hypothesis. Even NASA agrees that the early days of the universe's formation were violent and chaotic. At some point in this tumultuous period, probably around 4 billion years ago, scientists agree that another smaller planet definitely crashed into Earth. Chunks of Earth's crust flew into space upon the collision. This other planet had been damaged in the event. Its core attracted the debris from Earth flying straight for it. The particles of Earth then attached to the core of this planet, and it formed the Moon. This is the theory most widely recognized by astronomers and scientists, and it remains the official stance of NASA today. And yet, when Apollo missions first landed on the Moon, they took samples back to Earth for analysis. If the giant impact hypothesis was, in fact, true, then the moon would be made of, of at least 60% of the same materials as Nibiru. But instead, the moon tested positive for the same particles as Earth. They were practically identical. Then, in 2017, Raluca Rufu, a researcher in Israel, 
wrote that the moon was most likely formed not just by the impact of the unknown planet, but by collisions with multiple entities, including Earth, giving a more definitive explanation to the craters of the moon, at the very least. However, Spedicato's theory doesn't just argue the existence and then destruction of Nibiru. It suggests that the moon isn't our moon at all, but the moon of Nibiru. It also implies that Mars used to orbit Earth and that for a 2,400-year period, the Earth had two moons. The problem is, there is no direct record from the Sumerians of Earth having two moons. There's interesting food for thought here, but it simply doesn't connect. So, where do we land on this third theory? Well, it is possible that Nibiru was once a planet and could have helped form the moon, but Spedicato's theory that the moon is a former satellite of Nibiru doesn't really have legs. The timeline doesn't match up. But we do have to admit that there's no conclusive evidence on the origins of the moon. Yes, that being said, there could be unknown planets that had a hand in its creation. Then there are the claims that Mars used to orbit Earth and that Earth once had two moons, two points which are completely unsubstantiated. I sincerely doubt the moon was ever a satellite of Nibiru. I'm giving this theory a three out of 10. It's not fully impossible, but there's no strong evidence. That's a fair assessment. I agree. So, which of these theories is most credible? Well, I think we both agree that theory number two, which suggests that Nancy Leader is a Zeta contactee and that the Mayan calendar predicted the Anunnaki's non-existent visit, is out. Agreed. And I'm not convinced the inhabitants of Nibiru, the Anunnaki, are our creators, as stated in theory number one. Even if they are out there, I don't think we share their DNA. Which leaves us with the third theory. Our moon used to be a moon of Nibiru. It is true that part of what Spedicato theorized has yet to be fully explored. We still can't say for sure where the moon came from. Although with that argument, we can also say that we haven't proven who created mankind either. It could have been God or the Big Bang or the Anunnaki, as in theory number one. From a purely scientific standpoint, theory number one has just as much viability as theory number three. That said, neither seems likely. I'd agree with you there. There are too many mental leaps of faith required to believe Zechariah Sitchin's claims, so every theory that builds off of them feels thin at best. Even if we are rightfully skeptical about all of the theories presented today, They all make you take a second look at what's up there beyond our stars. We may have traveled the moon and sent missions to Mars, but there is still so much we don't know about the final frontier. Next time you see a star you don't recognize, stop and ask yourself, could this be a new and undiscovered planet? Perhaps that bright, distant light actually is the planet Nibiru, or will be once we discover it. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. We'll be back Wednesday with a new episode. 
For more information on Nibiru, amongst the many sources we used, we found Zechariah Sitchin's book, Twelfth Planet, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all your favorite podcast originals like Conspiracy Theories for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Conspiracy Theories on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Conspiracy Theories in the search bar. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, Freddie Beckley, and Joel Stein. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Monica Labedia, with writing assistance by Maggie Admire, and stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy. 